Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I'm here with Marietta Cozy, and she has an amazing career that you're going to love hearing about. Marietta was most recently the VP of HR focused on talent acquisition at Prudential and uh, led recruiting globally for them for many years and recently retired. So, of course, we want to hear how that's going, Marietta. But before we jump into that, let my listeners hear your voice. Welcome, Marietta. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff, especially since you have only recently retired. And it's still fresh in your mind as to how the interesting challenges and joys of talent acquisition will make you crazy and make you very happy, depending on the day, right? <laughs> and the situation, yes. <laughs> the situation. With that, why don't we just get a brief history of your career? You started with um, Raquel Milgo. Is that how I say it? Yes. Okay. British firm. British firm. And uh, was that was right out of undergrad? Just a few few years after undergrad. Okay. Um, it's a British firm. Now I think it's just called Raycal, but they were doing data encryption back in the day. And oh. so, so right yeah. after college, I went to work in a retail management for a retail management company, uh-huh. which was supposed to be a training um, kind of thing to learn about retail management and store operations. Yeah. And so looking back now that I'm older and wiser, I did learn a lot. Um, there wasn't really a training program. It was more, here's work that you have to do go figure that out. Uh-huh. Um, and okay. by the way, you're on your own. So um, <laughs> after a couple of years, I realized it wasn't really a training program in a formal way to teach you things about leadership and management. However, again, looking back, I learned a lot about leadership on my own marketing because I was responsible for a store, um, inventory control, yeah. um, which is now called risk management and those right. kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and then also the human resource element of leading people, part-time folks and full-time folks, you know, in a retail environment okay. without really any backup there to help you. So you sort of had to learn through a lot of uh, trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did find that helpful, um, but realized I didn't want to do that forever. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at um, positions in human resources because I felt like that was something I was interested in once I looked at the various um, areas that I could be, you know, go into. Okay. And was it the people management component of that retail that gave you the introduction to leading people and hiring people? And hiring people and really seeing, you know, the um, exciting uh, results of that kind of work, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to the marketing aspect of retail, which could have been an area that I decided to go into, but I, I chose yeah. the leadership piece, as you said. And so your your sort of first foray into HR was at Raycal, right. mm-hmm. and then you got attracted to American Express. Talk yes. about that. So I got attracted to American Express by one of my colleagues who I went to Florida State with, and he landed a job at Amex a few years after college as well. This was in South Florida, which is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And so he um, called me actually like on the phone because that's how you did it back then <laughs> and he said you need to you need to come here like they're looking for other HR people you know they'll take some entry level kinds of roles 
And so I went and filled out a paper application, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, was interviewed Mm -hmm. by several people, including the person I was going to report to and a business leader or two at the time, got the job as an entry-level recruiter. Okay. So you didn't really know anything at that time about large scale or... I mean, I did some recruiting at the kind of work they did. That's right. Yeah. So I I did some recruiting at Raycal, but it was a smaller company. And so therefore, you know, it was... Those, it was just smaller. One of the folks that, that hired me at Raycal, he had also been in retail management. And so he gave me a really good thing to think about. He said to me, if you can work in retail management, especially mm-hmm. in your own store where you're kind of left on your own, mm-hmm. you can really do pretty much anything. Okay. And so, and, so and that I think, gave you confidence. Right. And I think about that a lot when, when mm-hmm. we talk to people who had a retail background and wanted to make a shift into another role like in HR or in customer service. And I often think about what, what he said said to me way back when, and it makes a lot of sense. Retail is, is retail and restaurant work is very hard. Yeah. Right. And very fast paced, very fast paced. You have to do, you have to do do multiple Mm -hmm. things at one time. Mm -hmm. So, um, I always remember that. So you started in recruiting and then generalized to HR. Mm -hmm. At some point you came back around to recruiting and really went deep and and of course led. So how did that how did you go back to recruiting? So I started in recruiting, went into um, an HR generalist role when I first got to American Express in New York, mm-hmm. um, did employee relations, which was a centralized function at that time, was a leader at the same time in terms of all those roles that I had. And so there was an opening in the recruiting function at American Express in New York City. Mm-hmm. And you remember yeah. how much fun it was? <laughs> right, right. Well, they also remembered how I started, you know, uh-huh. and so they were also looking for someone who could lead, you know, an organization. I think that's always a part, you know, an important part of it, in addition to the experience that you bring mm-hmm. in a particular technical capacity. And I can imagine the training you were receiving or the investment they were making in you was maybe a little more significant than what you had seen in retail. Yes. Well, that, right? that was the other thing. So uh-huh. it was, you know, learning the technical skills that you needed to learn, but also being exposed to managing and leadership kinds of classes that were offsite and then some that were also on site. Mm-hmm. And so all of that was um, was particularly helpful and really, I think, sort of shaped, you know, what I did from a, from a leadership standpoint going forward. And then I also thought about things that I learned in school that I thought, I would never use this. Why am I even learning this? Um, which I'm sure everyone does. For example, <laughs> for example, so you know, I was um, like cost accounting. I was like, why, why do I need to know accounting? I didn't wow. really know what I was going to do when I got out of school, sure. but I yeah. studied business at Florida State. So cost accounting was a huge piece. Psychology. I was like, why, why would that? You know, what what am I going to use that for? General human resource management yeah. um, that I took. And when I think back to all of those things, I think you you know. You do learn a lot. You're not exactly sure how you apply them along the way yeah. years later, but it um, it, it was uh, it was it was interesting. Really cool. And even learning technology back then, which was certainly not like it was now, yeah. But um, even understanding how important technology was and how important it was to understand how to analyze data, even if it was in a manual way, right? right. All of, all of those kinds of things yeah. that I should have probably paid more attention to when I was in school, but. Certainly yeah. make a difference going forward. Well, I think I hear recruiting leaders talk more about the ROI of whatever program they're working mm-hmm. on. Obviously, the overall ROI of 
recruiting and what it costs and what the benefits yeah. are yeah. and how to calculate that. So your reference to cost accounting mm-hmm. is an important one. Financial acumen, budgeting, forecasting. Yeah. Right. I mean, that matters. When you have all of those kinds of things that you're responsible for, especially you know in a large organization in financial services where the people that you worked with, the leaders that you worked with were financial experts. So you had to really sort of be able to understand your craft for recruiting, for example, and then also what was the, you know, the financial implications behind it. Because in any firm that you're working for, you're going to have to be able to show that you know how to do that. Yeah. You know why it's important. You understand what the return on investment is. You know how to scale things. Yeah. All those things are important in a, you know, in a large firm. So. so you were at American Express up until 2005, and then you joined Prudential. So let's talk about that. So first of all, give my listeners an idea of the account accountability that you took on with Prudential. And did you come into that global TA leadership role right away, or did you come into something else and then grow into it? Um, I came into the talent acquisition role. It wasn't global at that point. It was Mm -hmm. U.S.-based. It moved into global years later. I came in there. I came for that role. So I was leaving a position at American Express where I was responsible for talent acquisition and Mm -hmm. then joining Prudential. But how I got to Prudential is kind of a A good story. story. It's a story, just real quick. (laughs) Go for it. So in 2000, I was still at American Express in New York city Mm -hmm. and the head of human resources there um, was contacted by the head of human resources at Prudential. Mm -hmm. Prudential wanted to come to New York City and benchmark some of the um, HR um, departments at American Express staffing slash talent acquisition. We called it staffing in the day. Staffing um, being one of those. So two folks did come from Prudential. Um, They were not HR folks. They were re-engineering and um, kinds of individuals, right? Okay. And um, so they came into New York. But employees. Employees at Prudential. They were not consultants. They were were employees. They just came from the industrial engineering aspect Mm -hmm. that Prudential had. And so they came into the city and we spent several hours looking at different things, talking about how American Express had their um, talent acquisition structured, what technology we were using at the time, uh, what we were investing in, um, how we were doing assessments, pretty much the entire gamut of, of talent acquisition from, from beginning to end. So after that, the person who came to American Express he and I kept in touch, you know, just via email and phone mm-hmm. every now and then. You know how you do if you meet a colleague sure. and so forth. Yeah. So we so we did that. And then five years later, wow. he called and said, we're working on some changes at Prudential and we really need to um, have our staffing function completely take, taken a look at and really sort of changed up for because Prudential was now a publicly held company because they weren't in the past. Oh, right. They were a mutual insurance company. So things were different for them and they mm-hmm. needed to be a bit more sophisticated in some of the things that, that they did. And so he said, you know, we're really looking for someone. Can you come in and talk with us? And I said, oh, I'm not sure. You know, I love American Express. You know how those kinds of, of course, decisions yeah. go. Yeah. And then your wheels start turning, yeah. right? And right. The minute that you say, yes, you'll have a conversation, you it's you can't undo that. Yeah. And then, and then of course, I also turning. remembered what I learned about Prudential from our benchmarking conversation. Uh-huh. And, you know, why things were changing there so much. So they had, you know, acquired a a few uh, firms along the way. And so things were changing. So I felt that it was, you know, really a great opportunity to be able to take the experience that I had over the years and bring it to, you know, another company. Wow. The scope and size of responsibility. How many? So when you left um, just a couple of months ago, Mm -hmm. what were your areas of accountability in terms of business units, geographies, and how many hires annually? Yep. So um, so I was responsible for um, talent acquisition 
for the company, for the firm in the last few years, making having more of a global impact in terms of what we were doing, what could be used um, outside of the U.S. In, in certain countries and regions where Prudential was doing business in, in South America, so kind of best in Asia, yeah. And, if it yeah. made sense okay. for that that region and mm-hmm. that country at the time, so it was it was rather slow. But I think that was important because you just can't say, well, we're going to do it this way everywhere without really taking into consideration what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And that was an important aspect of how Prudential did business with their customers and with the various locations. So when I left, um, I had 65 employees in 10 different locations mm-hmm. and responsible for all of their recruiting, mm-hmm. including executive and campus okay. recruiting. So all the way through the life cycle of yeah. the employee. Mm-hmm. Over 14 years from the day you stepped in until the day you left, how did the challenges change over that time frame? So there's always challenges, yeah. you know. So when I joined Prudential, their staffing function was outsourced. Um, and the only thing that was inside was um, some executive hiring, let's say at the vice president and above level. Everything else had been outsourced. And the reason why Prudential had outsourced it in um, 2001 um, slash 2002 is because they had become a publicly held company and anybody who knows how that goes, you have to be very, very lean and you have to sort of shed the things that you, the businesses that you're not going to concentrate on and you have to really uh, be able to um, optimize um, anything that you're doing, mm-hmm. um, any sort of commodity kinds of things that you're doing that could be outsourced and done by someone else. Mm-hmm. And Prudential had several of those things that they outsourced and staffing had been one of them. Okay. Fast forward a few years after that, I think they realized that that probably wasn't the best idea knowing how important talent was to the organization. It really wasn't a commodity transaction to hire someone. It was much more serious than that. And so when I got there, we were looking at what was the best way to structure the recruiting function at Prudential. Should we keep it outsourced? Should we change outsourced vendors? Should we do some inside, some outside? And um, after some evaluation, we decided that we needed to bring the entire function back inside, which was not a small right. decision, yeah. um, nor was it, you know, a small task. So the first thing you have to worry about when you're insourcing recruiting is how to get the heads, right? Mm-hmm. You, you actually have to hire your own team yes. or convert the previously third-party folks to be on your team. Right. What? How did you and think so we, about we that ended up decision? being a mix of first, but what you first have to do is really sort of put down what your mo- your business model is going to be, uh-huh. and w- how you're going to f- what's that going to cost the company, and is that going to be the better investment versus continuing to outsource or having a you know a mixed model? So when I think back to the things that I learned at American Express and some of the things I and the skills that I um, and knowledge I gained in college both at the undergraduate and graduate level, those, those things come, like I said yeah, before, they, they, they do come back. It wasn't the kind of thing, Aaron, where you just said, oh, well, we think it's a really good idea if we bring the work back. Right. Um, you don't take that to the CFO yeah. you know, and to the chairman and vice chairman and expect to get, you know, okay, that's a great idea because mm-hmm. if you're going to start a whole new function inside, that's going to cost the company money and FTE and so forth. So, so you so had a whole business case? You had a whole, we had a whole mm-hmm. business case. Okay. At the same time, we were also suggesting that we um, invest in technology. We were also suggesting that we had um, an assessment uh, function, a pre-employment assessment function mm-hmm. as well so that we could make sure that we were really bringing the best talent for the firm. So we were really sort of changing things 
up a lot. We were going to invest more in in, in campus recruiting mm-hmm. um, and have more structured intern programs so that we could uh, bring diversity in, you know, at the um, at the campus level and have and, and do that, which we hadn't done enough of in a consistent way. Thinking about what is it the firm needed for the future. Looking back, is there anything you would have done differently, knowing what you you know now? I think we we could have done a little bit more from a technology standpoint, like taken a few more um, chances, a few more risks. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you have to think about like what's right for the company and the company's environment and culture at that time. So I remember business leaders saying to me, well, why do you think this is going to work? Because before we outsourced it, it was insourced and we did it ourselves. That didn't work. Now you outsource and now you're telling me you want to bring it back in. So what, what makes you think that's going to work? So those are hard questions to answer when the head of a head of a business is asking you those questions. Um, So I think you have to make the decision and weigh all the pluses and minuses. And then you have to also, you know, combine with like what's happening in the marketplace. You can't wait too long because then you could miss things, mm-hmm. um, whether it's something like HR or something you know that customers want and need. So now yeah. things change so quickly. Um, so that's I think about that. I don't spend too much time or mm-hmm. didn't spend too much time thinking about it. But I think over time we accelerate the technology a little bit more once we realize that that we could and there was the appetite for that. Right. Talk mm-hmm. about how you think about taking a hundred and fifty, hundred and seventy-five yeah, yeah. however many year old brand, and translating it into terms that appeal to this mission-driven generation. Mm-hmm. So that's not easy to do, and that's why we wanted to work closely with you know our internal advertising. They were also using um, an advertising company to help them you know develop those kinds of things. So I think the work together was really important. I think what we always tried to think about from an employment and talent branding standpoint was um, the consistency of Prudential over the years and its mission really hadn't changed. How they did it changed, obviously, but the idea of um, helping people you know, even in 1875 with buying, you know, insurance and, and years ago in 1875, they were buying insurance. They'd have something saved so they could bury their loved ones. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so for me, it was always about the consistency um, and how Prudential showed up in all these different kinds of situations. Um, some people thought that was a little boring and mm-hmm. sort of old school at times, but how you blend that message so that even folks who are millennials or Gen Z can really sort of understand why that was important. So I always used to say what I admired about Prudential the most was its consistency and how it treated its customers, how they stayed in Newark and are still there since 1875, how they treated their employees and the customers. So that consistency piece, I think, resonated with a lot of college students that we were hiring. Mm -hmm. When I think Prudential, I honestly think um, philanthropy and generosity. Mm -hmm. Am I right about that? Would, yep. you, would you say those are mm-hmm. two of the brand? Yeah, I would uh, absolutely. And that goes back to the consistency piece. Yeah. So whether it's the philanthropic arm of Prudential and the foundation, or whether it's being in Newark since 1875, mm-hmm. it's how they approach business. Um, and I think that you know that has that has paid off. Um, you know, in com- comparison to some other firms. Now, Prudential is a publicly held company, and they're still here to make money for their shareholders. But they do it; they do both. They can make money for their shareholders and treat their employees and customers and people in the community the right way. Right. Not everybody does that, so I think that's a, 
That's a big deal. Love it. We talked a little bit about technology earlier in how you wish you'd been able to deploy yeah. it sooner. Mm -hmm. uh, bring us up to date. So when you were still at Prudential up to a couple of months ago, what what were some of your favorite TA technologies, even if you couldn't implement them? Yeah. What, 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 what did you have your eye on? Well, we did get to implement um, digital interviewing, uh -huh. which some people thought that that was really like who would want to do that yeah. and why would we want to do that okay. and then on top of that we added the um ai component to it okay um, interesting wow okay. yeah and so a lot of folks were like how could that be you're gonna use this ai component and it's going to be random and you're going to rank you know sort of assess people and then rank them through that it was a little bit of a um interesting challenge to sort of explain that to mm -hmm. some of the business leaders and hiring managers but once when they saw the um digital interview and we knew and they knew that this was yet another way to consistently look at talent yeah some yes. of them felt felt better with it i think it's so interesting that we resist and when i say we i mean more hiring managers some recruiting leaders resist technology taking a role that used to be held by a human being mm -hmm. when we all fly on airplanes that are 98% yeah. of the time on autopilot, mm -hmm. right? There's mm -hmm. We trust that technology <laughs> with our lives, yeah. literally. literally. And yet, for some reason, we still think we need the human component of judging mm -hmm. a candidate yeah. on how they yeah. answer a question. Yeah. Okay, sure, maybe further along in the process, but boy, at that front end, that can be yeah. such a wonderful way for candidates to tell their story because mm -hmm. that's all they want. They just want to tell their story. Mm -hmm. So if you let them do right. that and yeah. let technology tell you. I, I think it really helps the candidate yeah. tell their individual story. You're yeah. never going to get that from a resume. A recruiter will look at a resume, and, and they're looking at hundreds of resumes for one position, and yeah. you just you just can't. Um, now, having said that, technology is really important. Um, I would also say that making sure that we remember that recruiting and making a hiring decision is a really still a very personal thing. Yes. So we're going to use technology to right. the to the best that we possibly can. But at the end of the day, it's a very personal decision for the candidate and for the hiring manager as well. Yeah. Um, so we can't forget a that. better candidate experience with digital interviewing? Um, we've heard, when I was at Prudential, we heard that for most, for the most part, it was a better candidate experience. You know, we had folks, folks post things on our Facebook page and so forth and um, in, on LinkedIn. And every now and then there would be someone said, you know, I didn't get enough time. You know, the technology didn't work. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. But that was actually, you know, at least when I was there, very, very small numbers. Because think about the way we use technology with everything else. Yeah. Right? Right. So we simplified the application, you know, um, mm -hmm. just like if you were using an app, you know, to, right. to purchase something. So yeah. we always tried to look at the technology aspect um, from a commercial way, like if you were using an, an app to buy something, yeah. you know, or it's a website to buy something. That it's the expectations. So mm -hmm. now if we weren't keeping up with that, people would say, well, then what else is in Prudential doing? Mm -hmm. You know, right. so you have to think about those things. And that's where the consumer piece and the candidate piece, you know, connected a lot. And right. we stayed in contact with, you know, folks in, um, in marketing and in advertising, you know, and in the technology area. Right. Because they're they're just all interconnected and people will make assumptions based on either one of those experiences. Yeah. So what I would always say when I was talking to business leaders, you know, and, and in folks in HR, as we've made different decisions, you know, I'd say we just can't have it both ways. You can't want top diverse talent and not use, yeah. you know, the things that are available to us to, to do that in, in our best way. You, you just sort of can't have it both ways. Yeah. All right. Well, let's pivot a little bit. I want to talk more about you as a mom, a woman and an executive. So, Talk about some of the challenges you faced through your entire career on 
uh, getting to the position you did, but also, you know, having other priorities? Mm -hmm. So that's a good question. And I have a lot of young women, especially ask me that question, you know, who are either having children or just had children or thinking about what they will do when they have, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, I knew early on that I was always going to work my life, whether I was I just knew that, that that's what I wanted to do. And so when I became a single parent, my son was two, I decided that, um, I was, that I still needed to do that for both him and for, for myself as well. And so I think along the way, you, you have to sort of understand like, what are your priorities? So your, your children are always usually your priority, but how do you make sure that the role that you have to play, you know, in the workplace takes uh, not equal priority, but is important as well, because you can't provide for your children without, without that, especially if you're in a single parent kind of situation, you know, it's not easy, but it's also not impossible. And I think these days you have so many other tools that can help you. So being able to work from home or work when you're traveling so that you, you can, you know, catch up on things and not have to be in the office. So I, I think you have to take care, take advantage of all those kinds of things. I also felt along the way that my son learned a lot. Yeah. So now he is working in corporate America, who knows why, but he's working in corporate America <laughs> and, and is very organized, you know, got his graduate degree and um, enjoys the work that he's doing. And so I think along the way when I was, when he was little and we were, I had to drop him off at the sitters on the way to the train early in the morning to make it into New York City. Like he learned to get up and be ready and mm-hmm. have his stuff done the night before. And yeah. he knew what he was doing. And um, not that there weren't issues along the way. Of course, there always are. Yeah. Um, but I think you have to also um, remember like what the outcomes um, and what the consequences will be when you know when you have that kind of a situation and, and how much they they learn to be independent and and i think that's so important they learn social skills so much earlier mm-hmm. i believe so i don't have any regrets in terms of the way that you know that i did that and and the way that things turned out and i think you have to also you know remember that there are people there to help you whether it's your sitter whether it's your friends and neighbors mm-hmm. and people that you have um, relationships with that will that will help you along the way. Wow. Yeah. So. so is there a bit of advice in there you give specifically to young women who come to you and ask you, how did you do it? Yeah. So I tell them that you, for me anyway, I decided that I wanted to have a career that it was important to me. And if I was going to be successful, that I was going to be able to provide better for my child. Mm-hmm. Um, Because not just financially, but also sort of how you feel about yourself, right? You know, I mean, the financial piece is certainly important, but it's also how do you feel about the work that you do and the accomplishments that you have? And and, um, so I tell them that that's an important aspect of it. You know, when you continue your career, then you're also um, able to make choices along the way. So if you decide that you want to stay home and be a full-time mom, then you can do that because you started a career and then you can pick up on that later on. So, you know, it could be different for for however the person wants to do it. I remember uh, at one point in HR, and this might have been several decades ago, people would comment on other people, especially women, and say they are, with air quotes, career oriented. Mm -hmm. But you never heard anybody describe a man that way because the assumption was... And so what's interesting is I I love what you just described about the ability to kind of sequence things Mm -hmm. and 
focus on your career, but maybe take a break. Actually, those things apply to men now yeah, too. Of course so they do. I yeah. think there are a lot of guys who are taking control mm-hmm. of their ability to connect with their yeah. children yeah. and have some time mm-hmm. off and have a little yeah. bit of, so what, I mean, are we done with the whole conversation about being quote career oriented? Well, you or know, not? I've sat many talent discussion meetings and unfortunately we're not. Okay. Mm-hmm. I try to help my male colleagues along and tell them, I don't know where you got that idea from, but it's really not a good one. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> really an outdated <laughs> Really not a good idea. one. You wouldn't. Let me be the one to tell you not to speak that way. <laughs> Indeed. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. we got to ha- all help each other think. That's right. Because right. words words reflect what we're thinking, yes. right? So what, if you're saying it, it must be. It, because you're, at, you're, you're doing it. Your set of beliefs. Yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. true. When I make the rounds and, and see who leads recruiting globally, there are so many women who are recruiters. I mean, I would say 70-ish percent Mm -hmm. of the people who do the recruiting work are women, but recruiting leaders are definitely not 50-50. There's more men who are recruiting leaders than women. So we can make some assumptions about maybe some of those are some of the same issues that prevent, you Mm -hmm. know, women from either taking career risks to get to the top job or uh, being offered opportunities or whether it's coming or going, I don't know. Um, Do you have an opinion as to why so few Top recruiting leaders are women. I have seen over the years just, you know, women not be confident in themselves as the way they should be, whether to be a leader or to be to take a, another different role. They're, they're just not. I was just on a panel recently and with some MBA students and there were a lot of women in the class and um, some of them asked me afterward, um, you know, I... I saw a job, but I'm not sure I want to apply for it because they asked for all these things. And I'm like, oh, I've been working for a long time. And I will tell you that I still have women who are very smart and very successful when we post a job. And they say, well, you know, you asked for these 10 things and I really don't have these last two things. Mm-hmm. I've never had a man call me up and say, gee, I saw the job. Can mm-hmm. I talk to you for about a few minutes? Because I really don't have all of those skills or I don't have the amount of experience or, or whatever mm-hmm. the situation is. Yeah. I've been working for a long time. Never had a man ask me that because yeah. they don't. Right. They it's, they jump in and they figure it out. Yeah. And more women, comfort with ambiguity. And women can do confidence or risk taking behavior. What it's all those. It's right? all it's all mm-hmm. of those things. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the women are certainly the better candidates, but they don't think they are or they're not willing to try yeah. to be. That's what I think. But anytime I have a chance to speak to anyone, men or women, and they ask me about it, you know, you have to show that you're confident. Um, yeah. And if you don't get it, then you go on to the next thing, but yeah. you're not going to, you know, not know until you, until you try. Yeah. So, Good. and you are going to be afraid sometimes, Yeah. <laughs> right. And nervous and maybe not as confident as you should be or need help or need help. 24 mm-hmm. year old Marietta, what advice would you give her? That's a, that's a, I haven't had anybody ask me that question. (laughs) Probably be a little bit bolder than I was maybe taking, I mean, I did take chances, but I'm not sure that I, I could have maybe taken some more chances. Um, would you have stayed in retail? No, you wouldn't have advised yourself to stick with it. It's a good industry. I would not have Mm -hmm. advised. So I guess I did sort of take a risk when I said, this is not what I want to do. I know giving back to the community has been an important part of your career as well. Tell us about 
your focus for volunteering and why you do it. And are you continuing that work now in retirement? So yes, I am continuing it and actually spending much more time on that than I did when I was working, Mm -hmm. which was part of my plan when I retired. So even though it's only been two months, I can say that I am still doing that and again, doing it much more. So I think the volunteering piece is really important. um, Being able to give back after you've been fortunate. What I would say about volunteering is that don't ever think that your skill set is not needed because I thought you HR, geez, like mm-hmm. who needs an HR background? Who needs a person who's led an organization? Like, why is that a big deal? Mm-hmm. But when you think about what people need and what organ what not for profit organizations need, I would say don't be, don't underestimate what your skill set is, whatever that skill set is, and how yeah. much it's needed at not for profit organizations. Right. Not only your experience skill set, but your worldview, your mm-hmm. personal experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you bring it all, yeah. right? We Especially do. when you're yeah. volunteering. So that's mm-hmm. good for you. That's yeah. awesome. We are to the end of our time, but any final thoughts, any final bits of advice that you would give to an aspiring talent acquisition leader? I would say that talent acquisition is probably one of the most rewarding parts of a human resources career because you can see the output of your work and that it involves people at the same time, whether it's the folks that you, that you are leading in terms of the recruiters or other folks in, you know, in the talent acquisition function, and also being able to work with uh, folks who are looking for different roles, whether they're current employees looking for a new role or employee or candidates joining the firm. I don't think you want to underestimate how much that work means to the people that you can you can you're you're literally like changing their lives i know that sounds a little over the top but you but you literally you literally are well marietta this has been a pleasure thank you so much for your time for coming out of retirement temporarily (laughs) (laughs) to record the podcast and uh we will look forward to keeping up with you and seeing how all of your volunteer activities go and thank you for years to come thank you Mm -hmm. appreciate it take care We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Erin directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.